I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. What was Mary's life like before the Annunciation, before that fateful day when the angel Gabriel came to her to announce that she would become the mother of the Messiah? You know, there have been various traditions that have developed over the centuries about Mary's childhood, her upbringing, her life before she met Joseph. But from Scripture itself, there's just not a lot of detail. There's only two verses that tell us about the pre-annunciation Mary. Just two verses. They come from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Listen to what the, the Bible says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. That's it. That's all we've got from Scripture about the pre-annunciation Mary. But what I want to do today in this episode is unpack those two verses for all they're worth. I admit there's not a lot of information there. But if we can consider some of the key words in those two verses and understand them in light of the Old Testament, and understand them in light of the first century Jewish world, I think they can begin to paint a picture of the original Mary, the, the pre-annunciation Mary. And we can come to understand who she was, what God was asking of her better. So that's what I'm excited to do with you. And I'm particularly excited to go through this because I have a brand new book that just came out. I've mentioned this book a couple different times on the podcast. I've been working on this for the uh, intensively the last year or two, but uh, in many ways I've been working on this for almost 20 years. It's called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. What I do in this book is unpack all the biblical data we have about Mary, every New Testament reference that we have to the Blessed Mother, I unpack it. So I've got a whole chapter on what we're talking about here today, the original Mary, the pre-annunciation Mary. I have a whole chapter on the angel's very first word to Mary, hail. Uh, and then I have a whole chapter on the next word to Mary, full of grace. Uh, and then I have a chapter going through what the angel's message was. Then I have a whole chapter just on Mary's question in Luke 1, How can this be, since I do not know man? So it's a deep dive into every New Testament reference from the Annunciation through the wedding at Cana all the way up to the cross and to the book of Revelation chapter 12 where she appears crowned in glory with 12 stars on her head in heaven. Uh, so uh, I'm so excited that this book has come out. It's very dear to me in the sense that uh, my doctoral dissertation was on a topic related to Mary, a biblical theology of Mary's queenship. And ever since then, uh, that, that dissertation challenged me to really delve deep into all of the these New Testament references to Our Lady. And I've been teaching classes over the years on this topic. And I'm finally uh, excited to be able to have a book that can go through and really walk people through all the New Testament uh, data points related to the mother of God. But let's go back to our topic here uh, today. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, what Scripture tells us about Mary's life before Gabriel came. And there's only just a few points here, so you ready? We're going to jump in. Uh, first of all, the Scriptures note that this woman, Mary, this the, the angel is going to come to a woman who's from a village in Galilee called Nazareth. So we learn that she's from Nazareth. Now, what's interesting is that Nazareth uh, is a very small village. It's about 60 acres at the time of the first century. There may be about 480 people there. Um, there were other cities that Luke's gospel mentions. Luke mentions other cities in his gospel and in his second volume work he wrote called Acts of the Apostles. And those cities don't need any introduction. When he introduces Jerusalem, he just says Jerusalem, or he introduces Rome. 
uh, or Phoenicia or Cyprus or Antioch. Uh, when Luke has to mention these other cities, they just are, are introduced with their name. That's it. There's no, no other detail given. But with Nazareth, Nazareth is so small, so unknown, it needs a little bit of an introduction. So it's Nazareth of Galilee. So it's a city in Galilee. Uh, and I think that's interesting. Uh, but Nazareth really is so obscure, it was not on anybody's top 10 list uh, for uh, great things to happen, especially for a Messiah coming. There's no explicit prophecy about Nazareth uh, in the first century. No one's thinking, oh, there's going to be some great event happening here. Uh, I like to think of this place as nowhere Nazareth. In, in fact, it'll cause Jesus problems that he's going to be raised in Nazareth. Do you remember what Nathaniel says about Jesus coming from Nazareth? Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it didn't have a really great reputation for those that didn't know what the city was about. So Jesus uh, is going to be born of a woman who lives in an obscure village uh, out in Galilee named Nazareth, nowhere Nazareth. And I think that's interesting because God often does great things in the places you least expect. I've been blessed to be uh, at, at different places that... Uh, that, that are small, obscure. I taught at a wonderful school called Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Uh, and it's a wonderful place, uh, full of the Catholic spirit, and yet uh, it, it's in a little nowhere village. You can call it Nowhere Atchison. Uh, I w- I've been able to pass through and attend a, a university there called Steubenville, Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, Steubenville itself uh, is, is, again, a small place, that not on the major roadmaps, and, and yet God is done amazing things through this university. And that's the way God works. He often does things in the places we least expect and with the people we least expect. And that's what he does in Luke chapter one to this young virgin of Nazareth. But let's go to the next point. What do we learn from Luke chapter one, verses 26 and 27? We learn that Mary is betrothed. She's betrothed. Now, what is betrothal? There's a lot of misunderstandings about betrothal. Many people think betrothal is like engagement in our modern world, but that's not the case. Uh, Actually, Mary, as a betrothed woman, would she be considered married at this point? Is she married legally to Joseph at this point as being a betrothed woman? The answer, surprisingly to many of you, is going to be yes. She is married. That's actually what the scriptures would be telling us here. Because in the first century Jewish world, betrothal was the first step of a two-step marriage process. At the first step of marriage, if you were getting a, a, a married as a, as a young person in, in first century Jewish world there in Nazareth, the first step is betrothal. That's where you would, uh, you would, you would enter a legal covenant with your spouse. Uh, there would be witnesses. You are in a lifelong arrangement. You are married at that first stage. The second stage of marriage is the taking, the taking home, the coming together. This is when a husband and wife would live under the same roof. This is when the marriage would be consummated. Uh, that second stage would come a few weeks, a few months, up to a year later after betrothal. So here's the deal. If Mary's described as a betrothed woman, that means she's married to Joseph at this point. They've already exchanged vows. They've given consent. They are in a lifelong covenant right now at betrothal. They're just not yet living together. Uh, that Mary's living with her parents, Joseph's working and building his house and getting a home ready for his wife. Uh, and so they haven't reached the second stage of the taking home, the coming together. So Mary and Joseph are truly married at this point. 
but they haven't reached the second stage of marriage. Another interesting thing is that a betrothed woman uh, would often be as young as 13 years old, 13, 14 years old. Think about that. Do you know any 13, 14 years old? You're, you're old. I, I, I've, got, I've got some in my own home, I, and it's hard to imagine in our modern world's uh, perspective that they would be married at this point, but in first century Judaism, uh, that was very, quite common. Now, the Bible also tells us that Mary was a virgin. Uh, now, that's, almost, that's, that's redundant here, right? If you read about a betrothed woman, of course she's a virgin, right? Because she hasn't consummated her marriage yet. A betrothed woman isn't yet living with her husband. They haven't started sexual relations. So, of course, a betrothed woman is a virgin. You know, that's like talking about a basketball player dribbles the basketball. Well, of course they do. <laughs> a, a virgin doesn't have sexual, uh, or I'm sorry, a betrothed woman doesn't have sexual relations yet. She's a virgin. But why is Luke's gospel emphasizing this? Because he's prepared preparing us, the reader, to underscore her virginity at this point. The, 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 the gospel is preparing us to understand what the angel's message is going to be coming up here. Then the angel's going to announce that she's going to conceive as a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the child Mary's going to bear is coming from God, and she's conceiving as a virgin. So that's why Luke's gospel emphasizes this. Now, the last little point I want to consider from Luke 1, 26 to 27, and I think it's probably the most interesting is that Mary's betrothed to a man who's from the house of David. Luke chapter 1, verse 27 tells us this. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, the house of David isn't any ordinary family. This is a royal family, a royal family. This is reminiscent of the great King David. And God promised David way back in 2 Samuel 6, uh, 2 Samuel 7, about a thousand years before this moment of the Annunciation, God promised David an everlasting kingdom, a dynasty that would not end, a kingdom that would endure forever. And the Jews were so excited about their King David and his building the, the kingdom there in Jerusalem, reuniting the 12 tribes of Israel under his throne and his son Solomon playing that role uh, as well and, and building a temple. And this was the, the, the glory days of Israel. But in 586 BC, we know Babylon came in and destroyed that kingdom, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and carried the people off into slavery. And from that point on, for, for most of the six centuries, from Babylon's destruction of, of the temple all the way up to the time of Mary and Jesus, the Jews, for the most part, had been living under one foreign ruler after another after another, uh, with Rome being the latest dominant power to oppress the people. And so the Jews are living back in Jerusalem. They've rebuilt their temple. They're dwelling in their land, but they don't own their land like they used to. And they, they certainly haven't had a king for almost six centuries. They have not had a son of David sitting on the throne. And yet the prophets foretold that one day, a new son of David would come. One day, a new anointed king from the house of David would come, and he would reunite the people of Israel. He would reestablish the kingdom. He would drive off the enemies from the land, liberate the people from their sufferings, and establish a kingdom that would extend to the ends of the earth, a kingdom that would endure forever. And so these various prophecies about a future anointed one, uh, a Messiah, that's what the word Messiah means in Hebrew. Messiah means anointed one, a future anointed king, a future son of David, a future royal heir that would come to reestablish the kingdom. 
That's what was associated with the house of David. Great hopes for a future king to come. So we as readers, when we read about, oh, there's some woman from Nazareth, not that much. There's a, the, she's betrothed and she's a virgin. Okay, that, that's not a lot of information. But when we read about how she is betrothed to a man of the house of David, that would get us excited. That would fill us with anticipation and hope. Maybe, maybe this is the, the house of David that, that's going to give us the, the heir, the great king, the Messiah. Maybe the story is associated with the coming of the Messiah. And as we're going to read, indeed, indeed, it is. Now I want to give you one little last thing to think about here with the Annunciation to Mary. So that, that's all the detail we have. She's a, a, she's a woman from Nazareth, nowhere Nazareth. She's betrothed at that first stage of marriage and a very young girl. Uh, she's a virgin, which of course we would expect. And she's associated with the royal house of David, being betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. But Luke is subtly showing us one other little little point. I think this is beautiful here. Uh, you know, this isn't the first annunciation that Gabriel's had uh, to give. <laughs> the angel Gabriel was sent to someone else by God uh, earlier in Luke's gospel. In fact, the opening scene in Luke's gospel right before the annunciation of Mary is the annunciation to a man named Zechariah. Do you remember that story? Zechariah is the one who becomes the father of John the Baptist. And he and his wife are barren. They're, they're in their old age. They haven't had any children. Uh, and he's a, a priest from a noble priestly family. And he goes into the temple to offer sacrifice, uh, representing the people of God that day, offering the incense before the holy place of God, the closest place a priest could go to God's holy presence in the temple. And on that day, the angel Gabriel appears to him, announces that he's going to have a son. His wife in his old her old age is going to bear a child miraculously, and, and they're going to name him John, and he's going to fulfill all the prophecies about the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. So you may recall that story about Zechariah, but think about this. The two opening scenes in Luke's gospel are about the angel Gabriel announcing a miraculous birth. He first goes to Zechariah, the priest, to announce he's going to be the father of John the Baptist. Uh, his wife's going to give birth in her old age. And then the angel Gabriel goes to the young virgin Mary of Nazareth to announce to her that she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. So two big birth announcements here right at the start of Luke's gospel. And the way Luke interweaves these stories invites us as readers to consider the connections between the two, but also the differences. So there's many connections, right? I mean, both both have an angel come. The angel's name is Gabriel. Both Zechariah and Mary are troubled when she when, when the angel comes. The angel says, do not be afraid, announces they're going to bear a child, announces what the name shall be, says the child will be great. Um, and so there's a lot of parallels between the two scenes, but think about the differences. Think about this. Who is Zechariah? Zechariah is an older man and he is a priest. Mary's just this young woman, probably 13, 14 years old, and she's not a priest. She's not in any official religious capacity. She's just an ordinary laywoman, if you will. Uh, and the angel comes to both of them. Who would you expect to respond with greater faith, the older man or the younger woman? Who would you expect, if you were living in the first century Jewish world, to respond with greater faith, the older man who's a priest or the younger woman who's just an ordinary layperson. Well, of course, the, the priest, he's older, he's wiser, he's had more life experience, and he, he's, he's actually serving God in the temple. We expect him to respond with great faith, but you know the story. 
Zechariah responds with doubt. He, he says, how can this be? He doesn't believe he can really, really uh, have his wife have a baby at, in her old age. And so he is sent away mute. He's not able to speak. He's deaf and mute for the nine months of his wife's pregnancy. Mary, the young virgin of Nazareth, she's the one that responds with tremendous faith. And you would have expected the priest to be the one to do that. Now, it's not just that he's an older man and he's a priest, but think about what he was doing. He wasn't just, you know, on vacation that day. He's supposed to be, you know, with game on attitude because he's serving in his sacred function in the holy place of the temple in the middle of the liturgy. So this is he's performing a sacred function in the sacred, most sacred place he could go in the temple as an ordinary priest closest to the Holy of Holies, and he's in the middle of the sacred liturgy. What about Mary? What is Mary doing? Where is she? What is she up to when the angel tell, comes to her? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't tell us. You get the sense she's just in the middle of her ordinary life. She's not performing any sacred function. She's not in any sacred place. She's just in some ordinary place. The Bible doesn't even mention where she is. And it's in the middle of just the the day you get a sense. There's no sacred time. Uh, So again, you would expect Zechariah to say yes in the midst of his sacred function, place, and time. And yet it's Mary. Mary's the one. Mary's the one who responds with great faith. Listen to this, uh, what one biblical commentator uh, points out. The contrast with Zechariah, a male, an elder, a priest, could scarcely be more stark. He did not believe, but she did. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's actually from a, Prot- a number of Protestant scholars, interestingly, have highlighted how the Bible is really holding up the Blessed Virgin Mary. But think about her response. Uh, Mary was asked to have greater faith than Zechariah. Zechariah is just supposed to believe that her her elderly his 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 old wife is going to conceive, and that that that's, it could be a big miracle when someone's uh, way past you know the biological clock has been ticking overtime, and you're thinking, wow, how could she possibly have a baby? God was asking a lot of Zechariah, but God was asking not nearly as much out of Zechariah as he was out of Mary. There have been old women who've conceived when you were just unexpected, that they were not expected to conceive. But there's never been a virginal conception before a woman who is a virgin would conceive a child. Listen to what one scholar says about this. The bombshell of the virgin birth announcement that Gabriel drops on Mary has no biblical prototype for her to consider. <laughs> you know, Zechariah should know his Bible story, know that old women like Sarah were able to con- was was able to conceive, or Hannah, uh, who was just barren for so long, was able to conceive. There's some biblical precedent for barren women and elder women able being able to conceive, but there's nothing in Scripture about a virgin conceiving. So the bombshell virgin birth announcement that Gabriel drops on Mary has no biblical prototype for her to consider. Long-suffering barren women might miraculously conceive, but they still need a male sexual partner. Virgins who do not know man are, by definition, childless. So do you see how much God is asking of Mary in terms of her faith? The scholar goes on to say, more so than Zechariah then, Mary might be forgiven for asking Gabriel for clarification. Um, So we'll talk about Mary's question in a future episode. Uh, But I think this is just highlighting Mary's tremendous faith. She was this ordinary woman living in nowhere in Nazareth. She's betrothed, probably 13, 14 years old. And yet she responds 
with greater faith than this priest in the holy city of Jerusalem, in the middle of his sacred function, in the sacred holy place of the temple. Uh, Mary's faith is shining in a glowing way right here at the very beginning. And Luke sets this all up for us by giving these little details about Mary's humble, lowly life in Nowhere Nazareth. Well, my friends, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you want to learn more about the Blessed Virgin Mary, you can check out my brand new book. It's called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. You can find this at Ignatius Press. Ignatius Press uh, uh, has the book available right now. Uh, I saw it's on Amazon, but Amazon doesn't have it in its warehouses yet. So it might take longer for you to get the book if you order it through Amazon. So go to Ignatius Press. They have them in stock right now. I've got a copy here in my hand. It's called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. You can always reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on my website, edwardstreet.com. May God bless you.